I like to If someone else was found doing this, just let me know. Dan wasn't sure. <laughs> I just want to welcome everyone here, those that have gathered in person as well as those that might be online uh, as we come to worship our God together. I make that joke, you know, if you don't know who I am, I'm, I'm Dave. I, I'm not Dan with a shaved beard. <laughs> I am his brother. Uh, but, uh, um, but I just want to welcome you here today as we gather to worship our, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. Uh, I know there's announcements in the bulletin. I don't know what to announce, so I will just let you look at the bulletin for yourself. Um, I think it's your standard stuff with your practices and your groups during the week. Is there any announcements that any of you know that need to be made? I figured it's all. Dan should be back next week, so I, I imagine the numbers will be smaller next week. <laughs> Only a brother can say that. Yeah. <laughs> you can tell him I said that if you want. He knows. <laughs> That's right, he might listen later, right? <laughs> Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we just come before you today and we just give you thanks. We give you thanks for the sun that's shining. We give you thanks for this day that you have made. It's a day to rejoice. It's a, it's a day that you've given us. And we just pray, Lord, that you would just touch our hearts today, that you touch our minds as you draw us closer to you. Just help us to be more aware of your presence in us and through us as you continue to grow us closer to you. As your body, we just come together as we say the prayer you taught us so long ago. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Good morning, everybody. Thank you for letting me join you today. Um, before we start today, I just want to share um, a verse from Psalms. And it is, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. So let's just stand and worship our awesome God today. Oh, 
your blood was spilled for my ransom. Everything I once held dear, I count it all as lost. Lead me to the cross where your love poured out. Bring me to my knees, Lord. I
between us How high the mountains I could not climb In desperation I turned to heaven And spoke your name Into the night Through the darkness Your loving kindness Tore through the shadows Of my soul The work is finished The end is
Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through verse 30. I'll be reading from the NIV. I'm not sure what was on You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, Do not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to his brother, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. But anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary, who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still with him on the way, or he may hand you over to the judge, and the judge will hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. I tell you the truth, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. You have heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. May God bless the reading of and hearing of his scripture. And may God bless Pastor Dave's message. While I recognize the passage was just read, we read it on one on the screen, a different translation from him, I will give you a yet a different version. Because <laughs> sometimes a subtle change in the wording helps us to help something to strike home. So I'm going to reread the passage in the message paraphrase, which is someone's, in, I don't usually preach from the message because it's someone's interpretation of the scriptures, but it is in today's language and sometimes it's insightful. That would help with this as well. Okay. You're familiar with the command to the ancients, do not murder. 
I'm telling you that anyone who is so much as angry with a brother or sister is guilty of murder. Carelessly call a brother idiot, and you just might find yourself hauled into court. Thoughtlessly yell stupid at a sister, and you're on the brink of hellfire. The simple moral fact is that words kill. This is how I want you to conduct yourselves in these matters. If you enter your place of worship and are about to make an offering, you suddenly remember a grudge your friend has against you, abandon your offering. Leave immediately. Go to this friend and make things right. Then and only then, come back and work things out with God. Or say you're out on the street and an old enemy accosts you. Don't lose a minute. Make the first move. Make things right with him. After all, if you leave the first move to him, knowing his track record, you're likely to end up in court, maybe even jail. If that happens, you won't get out without a stiff fine. You know the next commandment pretty well, too. Don't go to bed with another spouse. But don't think you preserved your virtue simply by staying out of bed. Your heart can be corrupted by lust even quicker than your body. Those leering looks you think nobody notices, they also corrupt. Let's not pretend this is easier than it really is. If you want to live a morally pure life, here's what you have to do. You have to blind your right eye the moment you catch it in a lustful ear. You have to choose to live one-eyed or else be dumped on a moral trash pile. And you have to chop off your right hand the moment you notice it raised threateningly. Better a bloody stump than your entire being being discarded for good in the dump. Like I said, a little bit more of today's language. Sometimes that makes something else jump out at us because God's word is living however you read it. Let's pray. Oh, Holy Spirit, we just invite you. You are the teacher. It's not the words that leave my mouth, but it's what you do with those words once they enter our minds and our hearts. So we just pray that you teach us, that you draw us closer to you as you just help us to get what we need to hear today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I remember running across this cartoon one time. A man was lying in bed and his wife yelled, Time to get up for church. His response, I don't want to. She yelled again for him to get up for church. And he responded, Do I have to? I really don't feel like it today. I'm tired and nobody likes me anyway. She said, Yes, you have to. You're the pastor. <laughs> I could have said that's Dan and Amanda's conversation. <laughs> Life is filled with choices, many of which we make because we feel we have to. Things like housework, bills, taxes, perhaps even going to work some days. These types of things perhaps we put off as long as possible because they drain us. Or perhaps we feel like we have to make a difficult phone call asking for forgiveness or, or seeking reconciliation. We put it off not because as much as it drains us, but perhaps we're just anxious or even fearful of that conversation. The point is there are choices that we make simply because we have to or feel like we have to. Then there are also choices in life we make because we choose to. Things like watching the big game, caring for the grandchildren, i.e. loading them up and sending them home with caffeine and sugar. <laughs> Things we do because I, I get that from Dan. I'm not there yet. <laughs> and better not be for a while. <laughs> Things we do because we want to. Things that give us energy, life, and passion. 
For example, I work out most days. Some days I wake up early to work out. Other days I work out after a long day at work. Obviously, these aren't things that I have to do, but I want to. Some days I run. Some days I lift weights. Sometimes I simply go for a walk or do some kind of combination. I look forward to getting exercise. And I miss it when I have an injury or a day that I have to skip due to my odd schedule at the hospital. Some days I actually get over four miles of walking at the hospital. Oh, yeah. And I'm one of those idiots that takes the stairs, even from the basement to the eighth floor. <laughs> and I still come home to run because it doesn't feel like a workout. It's too broken up. It's all about the heart rate. <coughs> Others, however, think I'm an idiot for getting up to exercise or especially when I use the stairs all the time, they wouldn't exercise to save their life. They may have a spell here or there where they exercise a little bit because of the medical evidence of its benefits, but it doesn't last. Why? Because they don't want to exercise. It's a have-to thing. So what's the difference? It's our attitude. I guess I was off the slide. <laughs> Success begins and ends with desire. If the desire isn't there, it won't last, whether speaking of exercise, attending church, breaking a bad habit, or whatever it might be. The desire has to be present. It's been said that life is 10% of what happens and 90% of how we respond to it. I don't know who actually said it, but I've heard that in many places. But think about it. Two different people get the same news. One's at peace. One goes into depression. Two different people run into the same roadblocks at work. One completes the project anyway. Another one makes excuses. No one could deny that in sports, sometimes the team with the less talent wins simply because they play with more heart. Now, granted, this is going back to 2015 in the NCAA tournament, but a perfect example, and I'm sure Dan's used this before, is Kentucky losing to Wisconsin in the Final Four. Sorry if you're a Wisconsin fan, but Kentucky had more talent. Wisconsin just responded better to the pressure in what turned out to be a very disheartening game. As Kentucky continues to struggle, it's really hard. It was the last really good team they had. Really good team. But perhaps a better example. Consider how some people lift your spirit just by being in their presence while others drain you. All these can be connected to the influence of attitude. Today's text comes from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' <laughs> Sermon on the Mount. And then we get a sampling of how Jesus came to fulfill the law. He fulfilled the law by showing its intended meaning. The remainder of chapter 5 follows the pattern. You have heard that it was said, but I say to you type of teachings. So Jesus isn't refuting what's been written in the law, but how it's been interpreted to the people. Remember, Jesus said, do not think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've come not to abolish, but to fulfill. Jesus is bringing clarity. Jesus is letting us in on this little secret, and that secret is simply this. Being faithful to the law, more the spirit of the law than the letter of the law, is not simply the do's and don'ts. Let me tell you, it'd be simpler if it was merely the do's and don'ts. But Jesus doesn't let us off that easy. Jesus says it's also about how we think, how we speak. It's about the attitudes we hold. In other words, it's about the attitude of our heart that really matters. Think about it. Is it more fun to go to the park with someone who's there to have a good time 
or someone that's grumbling because you took them away from the game. <laughs> Attitude matters. For instance, whether I go to church because I have to or choose to makes a difference. It not only makes a difference for what we take away from church, but it also matters to God. The attitude we come to church with is an indicator of whether or not we feel like we've really worshipped. I found it interesting that someone I know went to an event. They didn't really want to go, but was told they had to. And so after a little bit of a fight, they went. And when they returned, they said, it wasn't as bad as they thought it was going to be. And they may have actually enjoyed it if they weren't forced to go. Attitude Attitude matters. It changes how we experience things. For example, how do you feel when someone apologizes and they're genuine? How do you feel when you believe they're apologizing simply to avoid consequences? It changes how we receive the apology. Or as parents, sometimes our kids do task kicking, screaming, and whining. Other times they do them with a willing spirit, which is more pleasing. Attitudes matter to us. They also matter to God. So Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 and 22, You've heard that it was said to those of ancient times, You shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you're angry with a brother or sister, you'll be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you'll be liable to the council. Jesus is saying that it isn't enough to obey the command, Do not murder. He's telling us that God is also concerned about how we actually feel towards others. God is concerned about our attitude toward each other. Don't we wish at times that we only had to worry about not murdering? The command, do not murder, is much easier to follow than keeping an attitude of our heart in check with ways that are pleasing to God. Why is this? Consider for a moment what's at the root of, of murder. Anger, hatred, perhaps fear. 1 John 3.15 goes as far as to say, All who hate brother or sister are murderers, and you know that murderers do not have eternal life abiding in them. Perhaps you're thinking at this point, this is just too difficult. Jesus is asking too much of me. How can I control my attitude? How can I control how I feel? It isn't easy, which is why Jesus is the only one who could fulfill the law. He did it for us. Jesus asked us to simply respond by striving to do likewise with his help and with his spirit within us. One of the ways that we do this is by asking him to align our attitudes with him, to help us see others through his eyes. This is because he calls us into relationship with him and with others. And the attitude we hold towards others affects how we relate to them. It could be with anger, indifference, annoyance, Frustration, love, care, compassion, some other attitude. In this passage, Jesus is focusing on anger. Anger arises when we feel we've been wronged or our expectations go unmet in some way. And if that anger is left unchecked or unaddressed, it tends to build this dividing wall as it has the potential to destroy relationships. People express anger in multiple ways. Some retreat in anger. They follow it up. They let it fester on the inside where it only grows and eats at them. Others blow their top. The result, however, is the same. It's an estranged relationship as anger slams the door shut. We can follow the command, do not murder, because we have to, 
But Jesus says we have to go beyond that. The spirit of the law goes beyond that. The spirit of the law goes beyond the don't. Jesus tells us that we need to choose to forgive. Once again, it's a matter of the heart. It starts with our attitude. And the Spirit of God will change our heart, our attitude, if we allow him to. Now, does this mean all anger is wrong? No, not at all. We see God, God's anger in Scripture towards sin and Jesus' anger in the temple. Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, uh, 26 and 27, Be angry, but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not make room for the devil. There is a time and there is a place for anger. Many times we call that righteous anger, and it's about making sure that the right thing is done. And just like there's a time and a place for anger, there's also appropriate and inappropriate ways of expressing it. Self-reflection is really a good thing. Sometimes we have to ask ourselves, why are we angry? Is it godly anger? How are we expressing that anger? And perhaps the most important question, are we working to resolve it through forgiveness and reconciliation with his help? Sometimes with that self-reflection, what we will discover is that we're angry at someone, but we really are the person at fault. It's this interesting subtle shift that Jesus makes starting in verse 23 of chapter 5. The first example Jesus gives is the context of worship. He says, So when you're offering your gift at the altar... And if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, i.e. it's your fault, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Now, if you continued in the passage, you'll see that Jesus also uses the court of law as another example. But the shift he makes is that we are the one who has wronged someone. And both illustrations illustrate this urgency of taking the initiative and seeking to be reconciled. Something that doesn't come easily to most of us, but something that is necessary to have healthy relationships and to live in a godly life. Something we could do by submitting to the Holy Spirit. Having healthy relationships begin with a choice. We have to choose to have healthy relationships, and healthy relationships begin with an attitude. Kind of back to what I said earlier, 90% of life is how we respond to what happens to us. This means we can make things worse, or we can make things better by responding in a Christ-like manner. Now, with all that said, relationships do take more than one person. We may take steps to reconcile. We might take steps to make things right. But the person on the other side may not be willing to let us. This does not mean that we fail to live according to Christ's teachings. I believe that as long as we've tried to reconcile, we are successful in God's eyes. While the relationship might still be estranged, we've come, in it, we've come toward it in a Christ-like way. Paul puts it this way in Romans 12, verses 14 through 18. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought of what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. That sounds like to me that we're not literally at peace with all relationships in our life. But Paul gives us the key in verse 18. 
if it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Why is this? Because this means the attitude of our heart is right. We want reconciliation. We want those healthy relationships. And we've done what we can. And after that point, we just leave it in God's hands. The attitude of our heart matters to Jesus, and he wants to make this clear. So he moves to another topic to illustrate that the heart matters. In verses 27 through 28, Jesus says, You've heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust already has committed adultery with her in his heart. Let me state this in a different way, which is one of the reasons I brought in the message paraphrase. It states it this way. But don't think you preserved your virtue simply by staying out of bed. Your heart can be corrupted by lust even quicker than your body. Those leering looks you think nobody notices, they also corrupt. It starts in our heart. It starts with our attitudes. It starts internally, which is why John Stott writes, As the prohibition of murder included the angry thought and the insulting word, so the prohibition of adultery included the lustful look and imagination. Personally, I'm so glad we're saved by grace, that God is loving and forgiving when I consider all the ways that my heart isn't as pure as I would like it to be. The Pharisees taught that adultery was an act, but Jesus says adultery begins in the heart, and that you don't have to physically commit adultery to be adulterous. In other words, one can commit adultery with their TV, their smartphone, their computer, magazine, being on the beach or the workplace, walking down the street, pretty much wherever one finds themselves. Jesus also puts it this way in Matthew 15, beginning with verse 19. For out of the heart comes evil intentions, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, and slander. These are what really defile a person. All these things are rooted in the heart. They're rooted in our attitudes. We could put it this way. Attitude, attitudes determine actions, for good or for bad. It begins in the heart. This is why God has to work from the inside out to transform us. And then we come to these troublesome verses that state, If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown, thrown into hell. If your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. Obviously, if we took this literally, we would be in some trouble. We'd be handless and blind. <laughs> None of us is perfect. All of us have sinned. The point I believe Jesus is making is this. Don't look at things that nurture the wrong kind of attitude. And don't do things that lead us down the wrong path. Really, Jesus is just telling us the sin is serious. We need to take it seriously. We shouldn't play with fire. We have to guard ourselves against temptations, which begins by addressing what? Our attitudes. 2 Corinthians 10.5 speaks of taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Jesus addresses anger and lust here, but we shouldn't stop there. Greed, selfishness, pride, envy, Doubt, complacency, self-righteousness. These are all attitudes of the heart. <clears throat> so taking every thought captive could look like this. Lord, I'm struggling with greed, 
And so I take that thought captive as I acknowledge that you will provide all that I need. We turn the thought around to the blessings that we have in Christ. Why? Because it really isn't just about the way we act. It really isn't just about what we do or don't do. But God looks at the heart. How is the attitude of our heart this morning? Are there some attitudes God is convicting us of that we need to lay before the cross? I can only speak for myself, but I know I do much better externally with following Christ than I do sometimes in my heart. For example, I've never committed murder, but I've definitely had times of ungodly anger. As we accept challenges from God's word, I know I have to surrender my attitudes to Christ and truly allow him to transform them. I would wonder if this would be a similar application for some of the rest of us as well. Listen to what God lays on your heart. Amen. In your bulletin is a communication card, and we invite you to think about how God may be speaking to your heart this morning. And we invite you when you come up for communion in a little bit, uh, to put that in the baskets along with any offering that you might want to give as, as part of your worship, because worship comes in many ways. While in some ways the Christian faith is easy, as in we don't have to earn our way to heaven, in reality it's really difficult that we truly live out our faith. Not because we have to earn anything, but because of what Jesus calls us to. The law could not save us because all of us fall short as Jesus shared the intent of the law that had to be followed even more so than the letter of the law. We sometimes, or maybe I should say I sometimes, or used to, not as much as I used to, joke about the spirit of the law, such as things as rationalizing, driving a little bit over the speed limit. But the truth of the matter is that the spirit of the law is exactly what nobody could fulfill except for Jesus. The spirit of the law gets to our hearts. How do we feel about others? How do we feel about God? It gets beyond the simple do's and don'ts, and it gets to our attitudes and our motives. And this is exactly why we need a Savior. This is why we need Jesus. Because this is beyond anything that any of us could do on our own. And so as we prepare our hearts and our minds for communion, we remember that Jesus made the first move on dying on the cross for us. All that we have to do is accept what he's done on our behalf to accept his grace, to accept his mercy. And everything else we do after that is simply response to the gift that he's given us. So as we prepare to come before this table, we remember that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread, and after giving thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. And likewise, after giving thanks, he took the cup, he said, this is the new covenant in my blood, shed for the remission of sins. As we partake, we proclaim in the Lord's death until he returns. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we just come before you. We just thank you for the gift you've given us in Jesus Christ. We thank you how he fulfilled the law, that he made a way where we could not make a way, that you prepared the route for us. We give you thanks for your grace and your mercy as you bestowed it upon us, and you just simply ask us to respond to that grace and that mercy. And so as we prepare our hearts and our minds to receive communion, just help us to just be embellished with that love that you have for us, the love that sent Christ to the cross for us to make that way, 
so we can have an eternal, not just a relationship here, but an eternal relationship with you. We just ask that you consecrate these elements, that you just use them to draw us closer into, into your presence. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. table is set. We invite you to come forward. If for some reason you don't feel like you're in a place to receive communion this morning, feel free to still come forward and cross your arms and I'll, I'll give you a blessing.
intentional about setting some time aside to look into our hearts. What are our attitudes, our motives? Are they pure before God, or do we need to ask him to bring them into alignment with him? The truth is, they'll never be completely pure this side of heaven, and they don't have to be. But God simply asks that we strive to bring them more into alignment with him. So as we leave here today, let's go in peace, knowing that if we are willing God will continue to work in us and through us as he brings us more into alignment with him. Go in peace. Amen.